This morning, we are going to be in Nehemiah chapter 12, and it's a big chapter. It's uh, 40 verses. Uh, the first 26 verses of, we probably wouldn't be able to pronounce uh, whatsoever. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verses 27 through 43. So let's start reading there. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the songs, songs of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Netophatidus, and also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmabeth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dung Gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Mushalam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priests' sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Sakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Asarel, Melaliah, Gelaliah, Maiah, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them, and the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the accent of the wall above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by gate of Jeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of Hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks, stood in the house of God, and I and I, and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Elikim, Maaseiah, Maniamin, Micaiah, Elohim, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Maaseiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehohanan, Micaiah, Elam, and Esed, and the singer San with uh, Jesariah and the leaders, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that we get to also join in this joy that we get, Father, to gather together as your people, the people of God, the people who have been marked by joy. And Father, we gather this morning, Lord, and we pray that you would be in our, in our midst working the same way you worked with your people on this account. And Father, we pray that you would move and that you would open your word to us Help us understand it and rejoice in it. 
For there is much joy to be found in you, Lord. I pray you would bless your people and bless me this morning as I preach to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, many of you know some of my testimony, and just to give you just a brief overview, I came when I was 10 years old to this country because of just a political government that was going on in my country, Nicaragua. And when I came here, I grew up in different homes. I lived with my aunt in Virginia for three years. Then I moved to Miami and I lived with an uncle for another two years. And finally, I lived with a family who were friends of my mom that just happened to have taken me in during my high school years. Now, immediately after high school, as soon as I graduated, I moved out to live on my own, or so I thought. I was actually renting a room from another family at $250 a month. And uh, for the next four to five years, I set out to enjoy my life. And I wish I had a, a different way of enjoyment, but I wanted to enjoy my life to the fullest. And so I indulged myself into everything that this culture had to offer because, for me, joy was getting together with my friends. Joy, when I thought of joy, I, I associated joy with taking five tequila shots and smoking a joint in the parking lot of a club right before I went in. See, I associated joy with once being inside the club that evening, drinking some more and taking as many and talking to as many girls as possible. And, and, and joy for me was being wasted and eventually going home with bad company. You see, the reason why I share this with you, it's not because it's not about me, but the reason why I share this with you, church, is because a large, a large part of my life I spent never associating joy with God. You see, to my shame, I could associate joy with drinking, drugs, vanity, sex, money, but, but my mind and my heart could never conceive that there is an inseparable association with joy and God. And many of us still live under this false dichotomy that, that to know God and to live for God and to follow His commands and to devote everything we do to the glory of God is to live lives deprived of joy. I mean, can I really find more joy in reading God's Word than in watching a good movie? Can I really find more joy in submitting to my husband's leadership than in imposing my own authority? Can I really find more joy in serving my wife than in serving myself? And so we wrestle with many different questions like these that can all be summarized to this one question. Can I live for God and have joy? And as we come to Nehemiah chapter 12 this morning, we are confronted with this awesome scene. So I want us to take a little bit of a time, and I want us to imagine this scene with me, okay? Now, this message had gone out to all the villages surrounding the city. People were gathering. Musicians had been there for some weeks now. There were even villages of tents thrown up as they eagerly came together to prepare for this day. 
And now this day was here. It was all ready to start. Thousands of people gathered together. Just imagine the bus, the excitement, the joy. So what were all these people here for? Were they here for some open air concert? Some mass political rally? Is this Jerusalem County Fair? No. Look at verse 27 with me. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, stop right there. Oh, okay. So this is some kind of ceremony dedicating some brick walls, right? And that sounds pretty boring, doesn't it? But wait, look at what it says. It says, They sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication. How? With gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. You see, these people are going all out. Gladness in Hebrew is the same word used for joy. So we see there is joy with thanksgiving and with singing and a whole list of instruments. These people are ready for celebrating. So what exactly are they celebrating? I mean, we know that they had built a wall that had been torn down for 144 years, right? We learned that in chapter 6, we learned that in chapter 6, right? Wall was turned down, they, 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 uh, they built it. Well, but when we got to chapter 8, they were weeping. And in chapter 9, they were confessing sin. That, that, that can't be joyous, can it? Then in chapter 10, they were consecrating themselves to God. So what kind of people associate consecration to God with joy? Now, I still remember in my prior lifestyle, the one I, I spoke to you about, I remember hearing people tell me, you will find joy in God. And I used to laugh. I used to, man, man come on, man. Are you, are, you, are you crazy or something? I mean, don't you see how much joy I have? What do you mean I can find joy in God? Man, you want to come hang out with me? You'll, you'll, you'll have some joy. Now, the last time that we saw these people, okay, in Nehemiah, was in chapter 10. And this is what they were doing. They were entering into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. In other words, they were making an oath to obey God or else be cursed. Now, I don't know about you, but some of these commitments that they committed themselves to didn't sound like they would be anything to rejoice about. Let's review a little bit. We will not marry foreigners. That doesn't sound like joy. Man, what, what about if I really like this unbelieving person and I can't marry them? We will not buy on the Sabbath, man. What about if, if it, there's a great deal that would bring me, my family prosperity? We promise to give tithes and contributions. Man, what, what about if I want to use the money for other things? We will not neglect the house of God. Well, what about if I want to do other things instead of serving the house of God? And so we find these people, after making all these promises in consecration to God, ready to have a celebration. How can that be? 
How can anyone find joy in living lives submitted to God's law? I mean, I can understand sacrificing for the sake of pleasing God. But joy? Is it possible to glorify God with our lives and at the same time enjoy it? And so the question that will drive our text this morning, it's in your notes, this is the driving question. This is what's going to be answered when we finish looking at this text. Is what kind of people associate consecration to God with joy? And Nehemiah will show us three characteristics of these kinds of people. We will see from our text that people who associate consecration to God with joy are a people of his purpose. A people of purity and a people of praise. So let's start in point number one, a people of his purpose. Now when we get to verse 27, verse 27 starts off with, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. And then it describes what happened at that dedication. And that's where our next two points will take us. Uh, but before we go there, I want us to talk about this word dedication. Okay, This word dedication in the Hebrew word is the word hanak. It's where the word Hanukkah comes from, the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah. But the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah it has nothing to do with this event. It actually comes a lot later. But this word is very interesting. You see, it is essentially similar to something like an, like an inauguration or an initiation ceremony. And it roots means to narrow something down and fasten it to something else. Like it's, it's like putting a fishing hook in the jaw of a fish. It is to fix one thing to another. So in the case of our text in Nehemiah chapter 12, it is to fix or fasten the wall and all that this wall represents to God. In other words, this dedication was an act of recognition. They were recognizing that everything that they had done and that everything that they had yet to do would be all about the glory of God. And in the English Translation, we lose a little bit of this meaning because we think of the word dedication and right away, rightfully associated with devoting or setting aside. And I think that there is some aspect of that going on here, but to say that this is all there is, is to ignore the original range of meaning of this word. Yes, they are setting the walls aside for God's purpose, but they are doing it by recognizing that this has been God's work. And we can see this recognition by the way Nehemiah began this chapter. Now, we didn't read the beginning of the chapter because the chapter starts with a Hebrew telephone directory. <laughs> and it would have been torturous for me to try to pronounce all those names. But some commentators see this as an extension of the previous chapter, which also is a list of names. But I believe that they are, they are here for a different purpose. This section is not about the residents moving back into Jerusalem. That was the list in chapter 11. But this section is historical names within the context of celebration. And so if the people through this dedication were recognizing and fastening everything that, that had taken place to the work of God, they had to start by dedicating the past. And they did it. By recognizing these historical names. So look back at verse 1. It says, These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Sarah Babel, the son of Shealtiel, and with Joshua, 
Stop right there. Who was Sarah Babel? Who was Yeshua? Well, we can find their names in Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, with the list of the first wave of people who returned to Israel back in the reign of King Cyrus, way back in 537 B.C. Now, we are now in 445 B.C. It's been over 90 years. And in verse 22 and 24, you find names that were recorded in the reign of Darius the Persian. He was the king when Haggai and Zechariah prophesied in Jerusalem from 519 B.C. to 516 B.C. This is over 70 years earlier. So why are they looking back at these names? You see, these names are important. They are the people who stepped out in faith and came back to rebuild Israel because they recalled the promise of God to restore Israel after the exile. They are the people whose obedience led to this day of celebration. You know, they were not perfect people. They did not obey completely. They got back and rebuilt the foundations of the temple and reestablished the temple sacrifices. But when opposition came, they crumbled. Rather than rebuild the temple, they used the material God had provided to build fine houses for themselves. We can read that story in the book of Haggai. And rather than stand up for God, they gave up and looked for an easy life. And so God had to deal with them. He had to send Haggai and Zechariah in to point out their wrong and to get back to work. So the temple was finally rebuilt. They were a people who did not obey God completely, but they did go. While many stayed behind in Babylon, they did give up their lives in Babylon to go for God. They did rebuild the temple. And it was God's faithfulness to use these people that led to that celebration that day. You see, everyone had gathered on this day to celebrate with joy because they understood that they were a people of His purpose. They could look back at God's faithfulness through the years and rejoice at how God, through men, was fulfilling His purposes. My friends, Palm Vista Community Church is a month and a half away from celebrating their 14th anniversary. Now, I have only been here half of that time, but what a privilege it is for me to be able to stand here this morning and rejoice in the faithfulness of God in this church. To be able to look around and marvel at what God has done through imperfect men and women like us. What kind of people associate consecration to God with joy? People who are imperfect. But who are people of his purpose. People like our senior pastor Al Pino. Who planted this church 14 years ago and has labored faithfully for 14 years. People like Lenny Machen who gave up an engineering job, career in North Carolina to move to Miami and sell sports memorabilia out of his truck. So he could be the first single here in this church and serve this church sacrificially through so many different seasons of life. There are so many sitting here right now and some who no longer are here with us. 
Church, our actions today for God will have a profound effect into the future of this church, into the future of our kids and our kids' kids. Did you know that? What we do today can have huge impact for God's name. So we need to stop and think. I want to ask you a question. Why are you here? What is your purpose? And I don't ask this question in a man-centered way. But in Ephesians 2.10, we read this. That we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that is a fact for each one of us. God knows us perfectly and He has good things for us to do for Him today, tomorrow, and every single day of our lives. Church, most people of the people mentioned on this list, were no longer even alive. They died longing to see this great day of celebration, but God, in His kindness, records their names in the pages of Holy Scripture to let us know that we are a people of His purpose and that the way we live our lives matters to Him. But these people were not just dedicating the past. They were also dedicating the future. Look with me to verses 28 and 29. And it says, And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the, oh my goodness, Netophatitis, also from Beth Gilga, and from the region of Giba in Asmabeth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And so what we are witnessing here is this, this massive gathering of people. And I find it very interesting that Nehemiah takes time to describe who they are. He describes these different people from different villages. But what mainly catches my attention is he begins to describe the, the day's activities by mentioning the sons of the singers. And throughout the whole chapter, like in verse 35, he mentions the sons of the priests. And in verse 43, he says, the children rejoiced. You see, this was a dedication that looked to the past and recognized the faithfulness of God to work His purposes through them and one that looked to the future and recognized that God's purposes did not end with them, but that God would also be faithful to the generations to come to fulfill His promises of blessing. They were able to see how the Lord had worked His purposes over nearly a hundred years post the exile to rebuild the walls of His city, to rebuild the lives of His people. And now they could look to the future with joy and faith, having pure confidence that they were a people of His purpose. My friends, are those the lenses by which you look at the future? Do you look at the faithfulness of God in your life, and in the life of this church, and rejoice at the future to come with faith. Friday night, in our 515 meeting, youth meeting, I rejoiced as I watched four young teens, three of them boys, reciting Psalm 37 by memory in front of all their peers and parents. Tears of joy come to my eyes as I think of the future of this church and the future of our kids, not because we got it together, 
Not because everything we do is great, but because we are a people of His purpose. 14 years from now, we will look back and we will see all that God has done. But Nehemiah also shows us that the kinds of people who associate consecration to God with joy are also a people of purity. So let's look back at verse 27. It's like we always keep going back to verse 27. And in verse 27, we have, we have this a little bit of a strange statement. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, it's just a statement of fact. I mean, it, Jose, what, what do you see you know, strange about that? It's, it's not that it's strange, but what is a little bit strange to me is, why do we read this in chapter 12? Why was the dedication not done back in chapter 7? After the walls were finished in chapter 6. And I believe that there is a principle in this fact for us to grasp. You see, the principle is that God is more concerned with the inside than the outward appearance. The God is more concerned with the hearts of his people than he is with the wall. And what we see here is priority. The priority of purity. You see, God was working. The walls were completed, but God was not finished. There was a work still to be done in the heart of his people. And soon after the walls were completed, the people came together not to celebrate, but to hear. God was working in them. They wanted to hear God speak to them. And so they, got, they gathered their thousands to demand that the law be brought out and read to them. And God was working in them. As they listened to all of God's faithfulness to them, they realized how unfaithful they had been. And as they listened to God's holy requirements, they realized how far short of them they were. And as they heard the judgments of God for the guilty, they realized that they stood condemned. They wept from the depths of their hearts at their sin. But God was at work in them. He brought them to repentance as they confessed their sins before God and they consecrated their lives to God. So the question is, what kind of people associate consecration to God with joy? You know what kind of people? A people of purity. A people who once stood completely alienated from God under His holy wrath with no way to be able to restore relationship with God, but who have been made pure by the work of a merciful, sovereign God. These people were preparing to celebrate not just the restoration of bricks, but the restoration of their very lives in covenant with their holy God. They were getting ready to shout with joy for the grace that they had received. My friends, purity is a prerequisite for joy. Let me say that again. Purity is a prerequisite for joy. All the people had repented of sin. They had confessed their sins and they had devoted to keeping covenant with God. And as they prepared for this day of joyous celebration, they made sure they stood pure before God. Look at verse 30. It says, And the priest and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Because purity is a prerequisite for joy. We must stand pure before God. But it's not just a prerequisite. It is also the very reason for our joy. 
You see, we are able to associate consecration to God with joy because we have been made pure. I like the way David says it in Psalm 40. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the mud and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. This is what we're witnessing here in our text. We have come to the climax of the book of Nehemiah and it points us to a people whose heart has been dealt with by God and who have been challenged deeply and who have come to know afresh the joy of their salvation. They understand that God had drawn them out of the pit of destruction and that God had been at work in them, bringing them back into covenant. Here's salvation. If you are a Christian, God rescued you from the mud of sin. And He has rescued you again and again from various threats to your faith. And He has saved you. He is saving you now. And He will go on saving you forever. And when God saves a desperate sinner from the mud of sin, what happens? This is what happens. He puts a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to God. God saves so that His people will sing a song of praise to God. The effect of salvation from the mud of sin is to fill you with a song to God. We are able to live lives that glorify God and are consecrated to God and at the same time rejoice because we have been taken out of the muddy pit and we have been made pure. Now to my shame, my friends... I am often tempted to allow my circumstances rob me of joy. But every single time my heart drifts away in that direction, the only antidote to me to, to, for that is to be reminded that my beautiful Savior dirtied himself to snatch me from the awful pit I was in and to make me pure before God. And then my heart is filled with songs of joy that can come to my heart. My friends, there is no greater joy that comes to a man than the heart of a man that knows he is in right relationship with his sovereign creator. So Nehemiah has shown us that the reason the people of God rejoice in consecrating their lives to God is because they are a people of His purpose. They are a people of purity. And lastly, point number three, they are a people of praise. And this last point brings us to the actual celebration itself. And Nehemiah begins describing it in verse 31. And he gives us 16 verses of full details of the parade. And when I'm reading this verse, these verses, I almost feel like I'm sitting at home watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and listening to the description of the commentator. But trust me, what we are about to see is much greater than a thankless parade full of huge balloons. This parade is actually one marked by thanksgiving and praise. And their praise started with thankfulness. Look at verse 31. It says, 
Then I brought the leaders of Judah up unto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. Now let's, let's, let's use our, our imagination a little bit again. This must have been quite a scene. There were two huge choirs. There were, there were so many singers that they had to set up tented camps outside the city in the days prior. That's what verse 29 tells us, right? Then at Nehemiah's signal, each group ascended the city walls on either side of the city and started to walk along the walls. Soon the city, okay, the city was, was filled with people and the city walls were covered by a ring of singers standing around the residents of the city. And then what did they do? Look at verse 40. They gave thanks. This was a huge choreographed occasion. Do you guys remember the hundreds of drummers in the last Olympics, the Beijing Olympics? It was impressive, wasn't it? Well, here were thousands of people with one voice thanking God. That is outstanding. But we can easily pass up the significance of what they were doing on the wall. Why were they on the wall? Why did they do that? And for that, do you guys remember what their enemies said? While they were building the walls back in chapter 4? Well, look back. Turn to chapter 4. Let's read verses 1, I think, through 6. It says, Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and, and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Sarcastic. Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones at that? And then, good old friend Tobiah says, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up in it, he will break down their stone wall. And, and so we, we see thousands of people on the wall now. Not only are they celebrating the fact that God has restored the wall, they are also offering sacrifices. Will they sacrifice? Yes! They're doing it right now. But church, it gets even better than that. Tobiah said if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down, their stone wall. And now thousands of people were on the wall singing their praise to God how God had worked through them. You know, God works. He never works in half measures. God always exceeds our greatest expectations. He takes lives that are ruined and makes them beautiful for Him. He takes people who are enemies and binds them as brothers and sisters in Him. He takes the weak and despised and makes them kings and priests. He takes the nobodies and makes them great in His kingdom. He takes people defeated by years of sin and he makes them more than conquerors. That is what God does. He is our God and he is doing just that every single day in this church. He is doing this in the lives of those who are awakened to God's purposes for them and in the lives of those who are drawn out of the muddy pit to be pure for him. 
and those who have experienced this great redeeming work of God are filled with thankfulness that leads to joyous praise. Does this describe you? Now, Nehemiah tells us that they they moved into the temple and the praise of the singers rang out. And as the praise rang out, the people outside joined in until there was a huge roar of rejoicing that could be heard far away. Look at verse 43. He says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. There is so much joy being described here that God makes sure to repeat the word five times in one verse. You see, this wasn't some little worship service no one really heard about, but a shout of joy heard throughout the regions. Now, have you ever experienced this type of joy? Have you ever experienced it when God lifts your soul so that you cannot help but sing at the top of your voice to Him? This is not just mere emotion, but it's a work of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 43, it says, it says, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Why? Why did they rejoice? For God had made them rejoice with great joy. My friends, joy is a gift of God. To those he has redeemed. I love the way the the NSAB NASB translation tells us. It says this. It says that they rejoice because God had given them great joy. You see, the joy we are witnessing here is the joy that comes out of the heart that has tasted and has seen the mercy and presence of God. This is the sound of revival. This is the sound of people who are restored. My friends, how is your joy this morning? Is it loud, triumphant, and glorious praise? Or is it pale, shallow, and empty? If it's the prior, keep rejoicing. If it's the latter, I have good news for you. You see, this joy was only possible to the people of Jerusalem because God was the one that had rebuilt their walls. He was the one that was faithfully drawing them back into covenant. It was only possible because God had made a way of purification for them that pointed to the ultimate covenant and to the ultimate purifier. But 400 years later, The promise that God had made with his people, he fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God sent his son into the world to live a perfect life. And then he he crushed them on a wooden cross so that sinners like us could come to God in repentance and receive indescribable joy in Christ. In Christ. Sinners stained with their muddy sins become white as snow. That's joyous. In Christ, hopeless people receive the hope of glory and eternity 
in Christ. Those who were alienated, despised, God has called them and drawn them to Himself to make them His children in Christ. That is our joy. That is our joy this morning. So what kind of people associate consecration to God with joy? God's people. That's the answer. If we could just sum up all these verses into one thing that God is wanting us to understand is that God's people find joy on the redemptive work of God. That is our joy. We are His people. Let us pray.